listening to City Lights guest, Pastor James Reddy. Uh, and I'm thrilled. Can you just give him a, a round of applause as he comes forward? Um, Jared's going to, uh, team's going to pass out the uh, some notes for today, but don't read them too soon. Like, don't get into that real quick. In fact, I've given them to you because I wanted you to be able to listen more than read, although I'll be reading. Um, I, I thought it would be helpful for you to be able to walk away with something today. Then this is the message that I really believe the Lord has for us. I'm so glad to be here. Merrily and I are um, really thrilled to be part of City Lights and seeing what God is doing here. I can promise you this morning, there is a church in Littlestown that is praying for you. I talked to uh, one of my associate pastors last night, and he said, we're going to be praying for City Lights tomorrow, as we usually do, but especially that God's grace and spirit will move mightily among us. How many sense the presence of the Lord here? The presence of the Lord because Jesus is exalted, because Christ is being lifted up. And I am uh, just very, very thankful that this is a church that uh, God is up to some great things in. And this is the day, uh, the Bible says, don't despise the day of small beginnings. Don't, don't look at something that is small and say, because it's small, it's insignificant. All right. The town of Bethlehem is one of the smallest cities in all of Judea. But out of Bethlehem came a savior. The city of Colossae was one of the smallest cities in Asia. But that received a letter, the letter, Paul's letter to the Colossians. God does big things in little places. That's what we've seen happen in Littlestown. God's done a great work. And what, what is the potential of happening here uh, for all of us to get connected into the work of the kingdom of God? This morning, I... Um, I wasn't going to share this, but I do want to tell you a little story about um, with Jared has two brothers, an older brother, a younger brother. I don't know if you've met all of them, but Justin, Jared, Joel, and uh, Justin was was part of a little league team. It was actually like a farm team league here, and uh, it was actually in the uh, Blakely area. I was born in Dunmore, uh, didn't know Christ. When I share with you from the scripture today, I don't want you to say, well, this guy's been studying the Bible like his whole life, and that's what it is. No, I was a pagan. I was un unsaved. I dropped acid when I was 13. I lived in drugs and alcohol into my early 20s. I was a first-generation Christian in my household. There was nobody above me. I couldn't tell you my father, mother, grandmother, grandfather, that any of them were saved, any of them knew Christ. I came, I got delivered, I got set free, I got crazy filled with the Holy Spirit and crazy in love with Jesus. And then I met my wife and, uh, and got in. She, now she has the opposite testimony. She has grown up in the church, you know, from a little child, knew the Lord, can't remember ever not knowing the Lord. And that's one thing that really drew me to her was how pure and how uh, precious her faith was and how awesome her walk with God was. She's the first one that taught me about tithing. She said, you got to give. I was like, you got to, what? Like, what's that all about? Like, I knew nothing. I knew nothing, nothing. When I got saved, literally, they took me to a Christian bookstore in Scranton. I don't know if it's, it was called CLC, Christian Literature Crusade. It was close to the original building for City Lights, just closer down to the Steamtown Mall. And they took me to this bookstore to buy me a Bible. And I walked into that thing and I said, Wow. Like, you guys got books and music. Like, how many of us are there? 
Are there like a lot of us? Because I didn't realize that this thing was, you know, as powerful as it was. I knew nothing about the Bible. I was absolutely biblically illiterate. Nothing. Never picked one up. And so I want you to know and be encouraged that you can know the Bible. You can grow. You can learn. The Holy Spirit's here. He's going to help to communicate as you open that scripture and seek him and seek his help. God will reveal himself to you. Be a lover of God. Be somebody that just wants to know God. That's all it takes. I want to know you. God says, I want to know you too. And that intimacy will start to happen. That word intimacy means into me see. Into me see. So God begins, you get to start letting him just look in you and you're all messed up in there. You know, I'm still working on it. Still working on it. God's still working on me, right? And, and I don't want him to see. But now I've learned over the years just to throw open my life to him. And then he lets me to have intimacy with him. Into me see. He lets me see greater revelations of who he is. Do you know what I'm talking about? Wave at me. Come on. Participate with me a little bit. Yeah, I'll preach better. But anyway, I was, uh, we, we were living up in the Blakely area, and uh, Justin was on a little farm league team. And we called them the bad news bears because they never, uh, they never won a game, you know. And now you're signing up for softball here. So you've got to get on the team, get on the church thing, have some fun, build some relationships. So every week we would go, and they, they just were horrible. They would get slaughtered like every game. And they literally played the whole season and didn't win a game. And one of the reasons was, was there was a little kid on the team named Raymond. Now, if you're here and your name's Raymond, don't take this personally. But unless you're here and you are the Raymond from the story, then you can take it personally. But anyway, um, this kid Raymond never swung the bat. Like he would come up and he would stand there and he would hold the bat and he would look. Now, at the beginning of the season, it really worked for Raymond. Because Raymond would stand there and those young pitchers couldn't throw the ball over the plate anyway. And so what would happen was the other batters would come up and they were anxious and they want to hit, you know, and they're lunging at balls, just something close to the strike zone and striking out. Then Raymond would get up there and he would stand there and the pitcher couldn't throw it over the plate. And so it'd be like ball one, ball two. Ball three, ball four, and then Raymond would trot down to first base, stick his tongue out at the rest of the bad news bears sitting on the side. Week after week. But then as the season went on, those, those pitchers started getting the ball over the plate. And those guys that were swinging were starting to hit. And there were some things. And I, it's almost like you, you have to make this up. Time after time after time, we'd almost be ready to score a run or, you know, maybe the winning run. And Raymond would come up. And he'd stand there, and everybody'd scream, his mom, his dad, Raymond, swing the bat! Everybody just scream. And instead of hearing ball one, ball two, now it's like strike one, strike two, strike three, you're out. And he'd go sit down. Literally, we did not win a game the whole season. And so at the end of the season, because now, you know, in this day and age, everybody has to get a trophy. You know, everybody's a winner. Even losers are winners. Never mind. Okay, so they had to get a, so, so they had a game where the mothers were going to play against the kids. All right, the mothers were playing against the kids. It was like a picnic, and we were going to play. And so um, they said to to me, since I was a pastor, they said, "Okay, and you're going to be the referee or the umpire." And I said, "Okay." So I'm I'm behind the plate, and I'm you know. I'm, you know, the game's going on, the game's going on, Raymond comes up, strike one, strike two. And actually, their mothers would pitch to them. 
So Raymond's mother would come up and go, okay, honey, come on, swing the bat, you know, and he'd just stand there, time is going. So God honest truth, God honest truth, we come to the end of the game, and it's like bottom of whatever, the seventh inning, I think we only played seven innings, and there's some people on base, and Raymond comes up, and his mother's going, play, you know, honey, swing the bat, swing the bat, and Raymond takes a cut at the ball, and he connects with the ball, and the ball goes flying down the left, uh, the, the third baseline. I mean, bang, he hits it. Everybody's in awe. Everybody's astonished. The ball was about, about a foot and a half foul. I yelled, fair ball! Everybody went, you're a preacher! You're a pastor! I said, run, Raymond, it's fair! And, of course, they ran around, and the kids won the game. The Bad News Bears won the game. I tell you the story, I tell you the story because I don't want to be a Raymond. I don't want to go through life and stand with a bat in my hand and do nothing for the kingdom of God. I want to make a difference for the kingdom of God. You understand? I want to take a cut at the ball, you know? And I have found that if I'll just cooperate with God and say, you know what? I just want to be used of you. God will take my meager, measly effort. And by his grace, he'll connect it with something and send it out of the park. And it won't be foul. I promise. I promise. There, you ever see that cartoon Snoopy? You know who I mean, Snoopy, you know? And uh, the Snoopy's laying on the doghouse and his snoot's up in the air. You, ever, you know that picture? You know, he's dreaming. And he's dreaming of his death. And, and, he's, and, and he's at his graveside. And there's a, a, a tombstone and, and he's looking at his tombstone, and it says, he was a Snoopy. He was a good dog. He chased sticks. And I think, I don't want to be that. You know, when this thing wraps up and I stand before the Lord, I don't want them to put on my tombstone, he was a good dog, and he chased sticks. I want to be somebody that made an eternal difference in the lives of other people for the glory of God. I want to be a person that was used, that God took and did something with my life. Because I know what I was. I was at the place of suicide when I came to Christ. I know what I can do by myself. I can get on drugs and kill myself. That's what I can do. All right? That's what I can do. That's what I'm capable of. That's, that's, that's my effort. If I give my best, I can get on drugs and kill myself. But God can take a life so burnt out, so so just wasted, busted and disgusted, and turn it around and just use it. And then, you know, it's all about him. Because, you know, when when a turtle gets up on a fence post, he knows somebody put him there. You know, if a turtle gets up on there and stands on something high, he knows he didn't climb it. When God begins to use you, you'll, the only thing you could do is stand in awe of him and say, God, you're merciful and you're gracious and you're wonderful. You're doing this, not me. Today, I want to share with you a message that I was commissioned to preach about 10 days ago. Never shared this. I haven't shared this in our own church. Haven't shared this message as uh, ever before. I've taught a lot on the kingdom of God, but we were in a meeting in Dallas and uh, with some pretty uh, very special people in our lives and uh, personal relationships. And we were commissioned to bring the message that I want to bring to you today. And I, I, I'm, I am a person who can preach without stop for hours. 
But Jared has already told me, preach as long as you like. We leave at 1215. Yeah, so, um, all right. So, um, I'm going to, I, I'll tell you what, um, uh, I'll tell you what, why don't we jump into this this morning. And I've given you the notes because I really didn't want you to be too worried about getting it all down. But I believe it's a message of impartation. I believe it's a message of acceleration. I believe it's a message of focus and of intention, and it will move you forward. It will help you to understand the heart of your pastor. It will help you to understand the heart of the leadership team that God has put at his side and with him. It will help you to understand what drives him and uh, drives this team and all the leaders you're going you're going to get a better picture and you're going to get a and, and by the help of the holy spirit you're going to be able to say you know what this is something i understand and something i can connect with now father in jesus name Thank you that every one of us don't have to go through life and never swing the bat. None of us have to uh, have written on our tombstone, we're a good dog, we chase sticks. But instead, we are people that have been born into the earth at this time and in this place, Lord. You determine the bounds of our habitation, even the time of our birth. You put us here to make an eternal difference for the kingdom of God. And I bless every person here, not because my blessing means anything, but I recognize your blessing over them. And I pray, Holy Spirit, come now. Illuminate the truth that's going to be shared. Open our hearts, our minds, our understanding to you. And let us never be the same because of what happens in the next few moments as we engage your word. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Amen. The word amen means so be it. When we had all boys at our table, we used to say, a women, doesn't count, amen, all right. Uh, I I called this, for lack of anything else, understanding our corporate identity as the church of Jesus Christ. The reference is coming from Matthew chapter 16 and verse number 18, where Jesus says, I tell you the truth, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build, notice the word build is underlined, I will build my church, church is underlined. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, I know you can read faster than I can talk, and you can read the whole message and be done and close your mind, but I would rather if you just stay with me and track with me and let the Holy Spirit illuminate and quicken this truth to you. This is the story when Jesus and his disciples were at a place called Caesarea Philippi. And at that place, um, Jesus asked a question, who do men say that I am? How am I coming across to the general population? They said, well, truthfully, Jesus, people are kind of confused. Some think you're John the Baptist raised from the dead. Some think that you're Elijah or one of the prophets. And then Jesus said this, who do you say that I am? And Peter responded and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He saw who he really was. Now, this is the 16th chapter of Matthew. Up until this point, they didn't really understand who Christ was. This was the first revelation uh, given by God to anybody. In fact, Jesus turns around and says to him, Peter, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. You did not get that because you deducted that by reason. But my Father in heaven has revealed that to you. His heart was opened. He received a revelation. And God gives us revelation. God gives us insight. God opens our understanding. God, by his spirit, quickens truth to us. Has that happened to you? You ever read something in the Bible and go like, whoa, that's for me. That's like me. God, you're speaking right to me. 
Right? Okay, that's what happened. And when, when he said to Jesus, thou art the Christ, you are the Messiah, the Son of God, then Jesus turned around and said, and you are Peter. Listen, it's not until you tell Jesus who he is that you begin to find out who you are. It's not until you, you really understand who Jesus is, that he is the Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, sent to this world to live the perfect life that you and I could never live, to die an atoning death in our place, to take all of our sin upon him, to be buried, to be raised on the third day, to resurrected, literally, in bodily form. Until you recognize that he is the ascended son of God, the, the living son of God, you'll never really know your identity. You'll go through life trying everything. You'll be trying to figure it all out. But when you say to him, you are Lord, you are God, you are sovereign, you are king, you are master, then he begins to say to you, you are Jared, you are Ron, you are John. Right? That's when you begin to understand. The rest of your life, you're going to be searching. So the most important thing is to get Christ in the center of your life. Make sure you know who he is. This father was sitting at his house one day, and it was a Sunday afternoon. He just wanted to read the newspaper. And this little son kept coming up to him, bugging him, saying, Dad, play with me, play with me, play with me. So finally, as he was turning the page, there was an advertisement in the newspaper of, from a church, and it had a full-page picture of Jesus with his hand stretched out. And so what he did was he, uh, uh, he, 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 he turned the page, and on the other side of the page was a world map. <laughs> and he, so he took the newspaper, and he ripped it apart. He figured, I'm just going to rip the world apart and see what happens. And he gave it to his son, and he said, go, go put this world together. And when you put the world together, come back and talk to me. <laughs> And so the, he figured the kid would be tied up for the next hour or two and leave him alone, and he finished. But it was only a matter of minutes before the kid was back, and the whole picture was taped together. The world was all together. And he said, how did you do that? And the kid turned the picture over, and he said, well, I just put Jesus together. And when I got Jesus together, the whole world came together. You understand? When you get Jesus in the right place, then your world comes together. Every, your purpose, your, what you were created for. You were created to know him, to rest in him, to live in him, to allow him to live in you and to fulfill his divine purpose. So when Peter says, you're the Christ, then Jesus turns around and listen, and you're Peter. Let me tell you, Peter, you've been a fisherman, but now you're going to catch men. Peter, you've been living around Galilee. But before this thing is done, you're going to go to Rome. Can you imagine a guy that had never left a lake all of a sudden? How does he imagine becoming such a leading uh, figure in the church of God? But watch this now. Jesus says to him, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Now, here's the first identity of City Lights Church that you need to understand. Jared said it earlier. He said, we're a family. And that is so absolutely true. Notice this on your study guide. I will build. It comes from the, the word oikos. Oikos is the word house or household or family. Jesus is, is it's, it, it is from this word that we understand the family of God. Through our faith in Christ, we have been reconciled to God our Father. And now as children of God, we relate to one another as brothers and sisters in God's oikos. That is the family. You, you are a family. Whether you know it or not, you've got brothers and sisters in Christ that are here. If you've come to faith, 
in Jesus. I'm your brother, whether you love me, whether you like me or not. You got to love me. You'd have no choice. We're family. We're part of the family, your brothers and sisters. This is such an important part that the Bible talks about over and over. So it's almost like Jesus is saying this to Peter. Peter, I'm going to build the family. And maybe better still, he's saying, I'm going to get the family back. The family got destroyed. The family got broken in the beginning, in the Genesis fall, when Adam and Eve originally sinned against God. The family, what God intended man to be to one another, enmity was put between each of them and enmity between God and man. And there was division and there was brokenness and there was, in fact, their kids, their son murdered their other son. Right from the beginning, there was hatred and variance and strife and division. And Jesus is announcing, I'm going to get the family back. I'm going to get that which was broken. I'm going to get that which was basically destroyed by sin and darkness. And we're going to recover what family is all about. That's part of what you have to be. It's part of who God called you to be to one another. And I know in our culture, in our world, it's easier just to stay to myself and, you know, be, a, be a, a, an only child. But you're not. You're connected. And you have to risk that. You say, well, oh, man, I might get hurt. Mm-hmm. You say, but I might hurt somebody else. Listen to me. You hurt somebody the day you were born. Did you get that? You already have hurt somebody, and you're going to hurt other people. It's not like you're planning on it or want to. It's just part of it. You're going to have to kind of risk that to become the family. Jesus announces, I am going to get the family back. I'm going to reclaim, redeem, restore the family that was once destroyed and disfigured by the fall. And how does he do that? God's salvation plan, the bottom of the first side, includes the full restoration of individuals from the results of the fall through their union with God, with Christ. Christ and his church. I know you say, well, I, you know, church is kind of optional, just Jesus and me, Jesus. And me. No, it doesn't work that way. You'll meet people out in the culture. You'll meet people out in your job, in your school. You'll meet people and they're kind of like, eh, I love Jesus, but I don't love the church. Well, that'd be like telling my wife, you know, Christ is the head of the church, the head of the body. So I'd be like telling my wife, I love your face, but your body doesn't attract me at all. I think your face is beautiful, but the rest of you, what is that about? The body of Christ. We are, we are his body. We belong to him. You, if you study, people tell me, because I'm a pastor, I love the church. People say, well, I don't know if I need the church. I say, what part of the Bible do you read then? Oh, I, I, I read the gospel. Oh, you do? Well, Jesus said he'd build his church. Oh, well, I read, uh, I read the book of Acts. Oh, really? It's all about church planting and the start of the church. Oh, I like to read the letters of Paul. Oh, really? Well, they're written to churches. Churches at Galatia, Ephesus, Colossae, Thessalonica, church, you know. Well, I read the letters to Timothy. Well, Timothy was a pastor of a church. Titus, he was an elder, yeah. I read the book of Revelation. Good for you. It's written to the seven churches, you know. What are you going to do? You've got to fall in love with the family. You've got to make that decision. I'm going to connect myself to the family. That's part of it, but that's not all of it. See, what happens is, is if that's the only part we see, that the church is a family. The church is us getting connected, having a holy huddle every Sunday morning. We come in. We pray the devil doesn't know we're here. 
We hope that people outside, you know, leave us alone. We just come in. We don't need anybody to bother us. God's given us a nice family. Oh, why are they here? All right? We're missing something. We're missing the greatest purpose, or not just the greatest, but the other purpose. Open your study guide to the top of the second side. I'm talking fast, Jared. While becoming and being the family is a pivotal part of our identity as a church, it does not describe our full identity. Jesus says, I will build, I'm going to get the family back, but I'm going to build my church, the ecclesia. Say ecclesia. Ecclesia. It's a a word that was around for about half a millennium, and it was used in Greek and Roman culture as a normal, everyday word. And Jesus grabbed it and he said, I am going to build, I'm going to restore the family, and the family is going to become my ecclesia. The word ecclesia is first and foremost a secular and worldly expression having been used in the culture for more than 500 years before Jesus. It was, it was abounding in uh, secular culture. If you went to say, if you walked into a Greek city and said, where's the ecclesia meet? They would tell you over by the city gate right over here. They would show you where the ecclesia, every city had one. Every city had the ecclesia. What was it? Watch it. it was, in its most common use, it was a public and legislative assembly of citizens duly summoned and called together by a herald to deliberate, decide, and decree the affairs of a city or of a state. You, maybe you remember I gave you the reference there in the book of Acts where uh, in Thessalonica they, the apostles were causing a big stir. And the people grabbed them and they tried to hold an ecclesia. And the, uh, the mayor, if you would, stood up and said, this is an illegal ecclesia. If we're going to do this, we need to meet properly. They want, this is a common understanding. The ecclesia, I'm going to read it again, was a public and legislated assembly of citizens duly summoned and called together by a herald to deliberate, decide, and decree the affairs of a city or a state. What are we as a church? Listen to me. We are citizens of heaven itself. Yes, we are citizenship in the United States, but we are citizens of the kingdom of God. We have been called together by a herald, whether the Holy Spirit or by those that God calls by his spirit to lead and call us together to be a deliberating body of people that make decrees over a city that begins to change the culture of the city in which we are planted. Are you still with me? Say, ouch, amen, say something. Say, you're with me. Am I boring you? Okay. I'm boring you. Help me, God. Watch this. Fourth paragraph. The Romans deployed an ecclesia to a city or region that had been recently conquered to disciple or Romanize the people regarding their new identity, causing them to change their way of thinking about life. So in other words, when the Romans would conquer a particular area, they would send an ecclesia. They would send a representative body to plant themselves in that city to Romanize them to teach them how we do life. This is how it works. God has taken and planted City Lights Church in this community, not simply to be the family, 
There's a lot of great family churches, and, and this will be a family church. I don't mean, don't mince this, mix this definition with me. This will be a family church. All the ministries will be here. It, it's part of the DNA of the house to take care of the elderly, to take care of the uh, seniors, to take care of adults and their families and children and youth, the whole thing. It's part of the DNA. It will happen. It takes time for a church to get its grounding and everything to move forward. We know that. But it's not enough just to be a great family church. And I can promise you that's not why God called your pastor here. I know. He didn't call him here to say, well, let's be a nice family that all gets along and loves one another and takes care of each other. That's a part of it. That's an essential part of it. But it's not the whole because Jesus didn't say, I will build my family. What did he say? I will build my ecclesia. In other words, God took and planted this church with these leaders and all of you to be a regional influence. And I believe, let's start with Providence Square here. Let's start with Providence Corners. Come on, this is our Jerusalem. This is what God, let's, you know, I love it. I love it. I ate pizza Friday night across the street. I ate Brazilian steak and meat last night across the street. This is, this is it, man. This is the place to be. This is the place to, you know, and then just to say a little word about the church and to, to reach out and to say, hey, we're here to bless you. We're here to, you know, to prosper you, to see what God will do. So watch this now. Jesus deploys his ecclesia to cities and regions to bring the kingdom of God and the rule of heaven to earth in that particular place of creation. The gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in every nation as a witness, and then the end shall come. The gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom, not simply the gospel of the family. There's a lot of great places where you can go get a nice Bible study. But if you, if you want to be Raymond, you can go in every week and hold your bat and they'll throw a ball and you can walk out and say, boy, isn't that great? That was a nice day. And then I, I was in a church on our sabbatical. I was in a church a couple weeks ago and the man, the pastor said at the end of the sermon, he said, see you next week to the whole church. I mean, it was a couple thousand people. See you next week. I thought to myself, that's it? That's the church? You all come, you stand there with the bat in your hand, you hear him entertain you for a few minutes, then you leave and that's it? There's no connection, there's no kingdom mandate, there's nothing we're doing to impact our region and our city for the, for the, with the gospel? You say, well, it's just an egg hunt. No, it's kingdom expansion. You say, no, it's just about pumping gas. I don't, no, it isn't. It's, that's, that, that's the excuse to get out into the community, to say we are the ecclesia up the street. We are the ones that God has planted here to make a difference in this community. And we're not Raymond. We're not just standing here. Swing, Raymond. No, that's not who we are. We're not just chasing sticks. We have a purpose. We are the ecclesia. Now, I don't really want to get into this too much. I'll let you study it on your own. But I wanted to make the note of it that usually the ecclesia met at the city gates. And I gave you a couple references like when Ruth and Boaz, when the transaction went down, he went and met with the elders at the city gates. The gates of the city uh, is where you did your, it's where the uh, marketplace was. It's where the, po the politics were. It's where the issues were discussed. And that's what Jesus has in mind when he says, I will build my ecclesia and the gates of hell, the authority of hell, the decisions of hell, the strategies of hell will not prevail against it. I got good news for you. If the devil could have stopped you, he would have stopped you by now. 
If he could have stopped you, he would have. Oh, believe me. The devil despises this. He despises this. Why? Because there are kingdom-minded leaders here that are like, you know, the family's important. We're going to love each other. We're going to care for each other. We're going to support each other. We're going to be there for each other. We're going to help each other. We're going to walk with each other. But it's not just about that. We're here to make a difference for the kingdom of God. There are people today, listen to me, I grew up miles from this building and never heard the gospel till I went into the military and traveled, you know, to other parts of the country. Never heard the gospel here. Jared told us last week, only 2.6% of the population of this, of this city knows God. You live among an unreached people group. Where else would God put an ecclesia? Where else would he plant it? Where else would he say, you know what? You're going to be my representatives. You're going to be out in the community. You're going to make a difference. You're going to carry the, the, the burn of my spirit in your life, the mark of the Holy Spirit, and the gospel to, of Christ to the world. The bottom of the first side, while Jesus clearly envisioned a culture-changing ecclesia since 300 A.D., the word church. See, Jesus didn't say it this way. Jesus didn't say, I will build my church. He said, I'll build my ecclesia. And it hadn't, people understood what he was saying by that. A legislative, declarative body who is here to disciple a region. You will disciple nations, he says. But in about 300 A.D., the word began to be different. You notice it comes, the word church is from Koreakos. It goes over into German, Kirch. It literally means belong, Kyro, Kyria is Lord, the, Ky, the Kairos. Kyriakos is belonging to the Lord. So it's not a bad word. We're not ditching the word church. It's not bad to say I go to church. That means it belongs to the Lord. But in changing the word from ecclesia to kyriakos, here's what was happened. The, the power of the kingdom was taken away. And why was that done? Because of ruling authorities. Because of the authorities of men who did not want people to rise up and be legislative bodies. In fact, when King Jimmy translated the English Bible, the King James Version, he ordered that the word kariakos be used in place of ecclesia. That church be used, not ecclesia. He did not want another ruling, declarative, definitive people rising up and saying, this is the truth, this is what we'll stand for. He wanted them to say, you belong to the Lord. You get together in your church. And that's what's happened to us. Are you, are you still tracking? That's what's happened to us. And so here's what's happened. Watch this. I'm a pastor. I love pastors. I work with pastors all the time. But we, we send pastors to Bible schools, and we teach them how to take care of the family. Feed the family, help the family forgive one another, help the family love each other, let the family take care of the family. Good, good thing to do. But we don't teach pastors how to be the ecclesia. We don't teach them how to move in authority and the power of the kingdom of God to come together. Listen to me. It's not enough that we just come together as a community to be a family. We need to come together and decree the things that God has decreed over this region. My glory shall fill all of the earth. My glory is going to fill the earth. So we come in as God's, as God's uh, 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 legislative body. We come together here and we say, okay, God, we're the beachhead. We're planted. We're on the ground. We're the first forces. We're going forward. God, give us aid. Help us. Send us favor. Grant us more. Give us more people. Why? So that we could say we have a big family? No. 
Because we could say we have a big army (laughs) and now there's more of us to go out and to advance the kingdom of God in the midst of this region. Top of the second side. Therefore, our identity as the church is not complete by simply focusing on being the family of God. We must also see ourselves as the legislative body in the earth called to change the culture in which he has placed us. Now, now, don't take this the wrong way. Um, I, I'm not up on a soapbox condemning people. I came out of a horrific lifestyle. I was... Uh, uh, I was uh, a person that maligned the gospel. I lived in all kinds of sin, um, horrid life. So I'm not here to point a finger and say, well, you did something bad and look at how good I am. But see, what's, what's happened over the years in our country? What's happened? The church has been the family. And while we've been the family, staying out of all the areas of culture and life, everything's been hijacked from us. We have nobody that will stand up in government. The arts are, 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 are taken from us. They're used to promote everything except the, the gospel. And things that and they don't always have to be a gospel message, but just things that are wholesome and great and beautiful. God gave us a gorgeous creation that has been disfigured and maligned by sin. And, and we, because we said, well, we'll, you know, and the devil says, you know what, you want to be the family? Go ahead. Have your little holy huddle every Sunday. Have your little church. Be good to each other. But don't step onto my turf. Don't step into the education world. Don't step into the political world. Don't step into the financial world. Don't step into the governmental world. Don't step into these other areas. But I'm here to tell you that's maybe where God called you. Maybe God hasn't called you to be an evangelist, pastor, a prophet. Maybe God's called you to be a teacher. Maybe God's called you to be an artist. You know, maybe God's called, whatever it is, all of those things are high and holy and beautiful. And they infect the culture in which we live. As we have sat back and been the family, the government has passed all kinds of abortion laws and we've killed millions of babies. I'm not against you. If you've had an abortion or you encouraged abortion, I'm not against you. God's a great forgiver and he's a great restorer and he's a great redeemer and he can help you and he will heal you. That's his promise and that's his love. But while we've sat back and been the church family, the government has just gone its own way. I'm not, I, don't, I don't want to preach all of that, but do you understand the concept? Do you understand the Kyrie? Uh, the, the, the belonging to the Lord is great, but we are called the ecclesia to move forward. And you see this in Ephesians 2.19. He says to them, consequently, you are no longer foreigners or aliens, but you're two things. You're fellow city, citizens with God's people. That's the ecclesia. And you are members of God's oikos, God's family, God's household. So it is not either or. It's not, well, I'm going to be the family. Now to say, well, I'm going to be the ecclesia. No, it's not either or. It is both and. Help me. I feel like I'm losing you. Am I losing you? Are we okay? We're good? I'm almost done. Who will give me five minutes? Just five, give me five, 10, 15, 20. I'm good. I'm good. All right. I'm good. All right. So it's both and. I am part of the family. I'm committed to the family. We're going to love each other. We're going to care for each other. We're going to strengthen each other. We're going to do everything a family does for one another. But that at the same time, we're part of the ecclesia. We're part of the government of God in the earth. We're moving forward as a church. We're making a difference in our community. And I'm not just committed to when the family gets together. I'm committed to when the kingdom is being expanded through us. 
Okay. Two things. You see the great commandment. The great commandment, what is that? Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind. And this is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. The great commandment has to do with being the family. The great commission has to do with being the ecclesia. Now go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. We can see this when we think about the Lord's Prayer, the way both of these are merged together. Listen, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. There's oikos, there's family, our Father, right? Oikos, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Here's Ecclesia, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Both, both sides. Then I'm back over to the oikos. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That's oikos. That's family. But then I come over here. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever and ever and ever. It is not one or the other. It is both and, and they merge together. Let me show it to you on the back side, and we're, we're just about done. This, watch how this happens. And for those of you who know Scripture, uh, I was going to put Scripture references, and I just thought, you know what? You can take these themes, and you can find them in the Word, and your pastors and teachers here can help you to uh, land it if you're not familiar with it. But here I've done, what we've done is we've decided between the oikos and the ecclesia, between the family And so the one is the family, the other is the kingdom. In the family, we are children of God. In the ecclesia, we are, say it with me, sons of God. The oikos is about relationship. The ecclesia is about, come on, say it with me. That's it. In the family, we are heirs of God. But in the ecclesia, we are partners with God, co-laborers with him. In the house, we are worshipers, but in the world, we are warriors. In the house, we are ministers, but in the world, we are legislators. And I just feel the Holy Spirit right here. Listen, when you're in the world, the the Bible says wherever you put the, the sole of your feet, that becomes kingdom ground. That becomes kingdom ground. You don't have to stand up at the, on the table today at lunch and say, Good afternoon, everyone. I'm going to pray for our meals. That's not what you know. You don't have to be real demonstrative and crazy. You know, maybe you do. But anyway, depends on the moment. But, but, but you can walk into a place and say, Thank you, God, for this person who's going to wait on me right now. Thank you, God, that you have a very special love for them. Thank you that you have something in mind for them. I don't know what they're going through, but thank you, God. Your kingdom just walked into this place right now. Your kingdom just came in here. You're with me, God. Would you show me something that I could minister to them? Would you help me to just take a moment? You don't have to say, I'm City Lights Church. Here's my business card. You don't have to do that. Because your light will shine. Your testimony will be there, and they'll say, well, there's something different about you. At that point, you can say, well, you know what? I am connected to, listen, listen, here's what you do. Here's what you do. Tomorrow, when you head back into to school, back into work, when you head back into your normal life, and somebody says to you, hey, what would you do yesterday? You say, oh, well, I was over at uh, Providence Square, 
with a group of people who are planning to take over the world. <laughs> Come on. We're, they're just, they're, we're meeting in this little building and we're planning to take over the whole place. All right? Come on, with me now. Come on. In, 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 the, in the house, the church, there are pastors, but in the ecclesia, apostles. And I want to tell you, and I know you don't like labels and everything, but there's an apostolic mantle upon your pastor. He will not be the pastor that everybody thinks, so well, he's not like other pastors. Pat me on the head, bring a Kleenex every time I get a sniffle. He won't be just not that. Con- there's a calling that is greater. It's not that he doesn't care about you. It's not about he doesn't care about the family. It's just that in him is merged both of these aspects of life to the very core of his being. He cannot be satisfied simply to be the pastor of a local family. He's called to change a region. He's called to change an area, to advance. If you're cool with that, you're going to love this place. If you're saying, well, I really need somebody to hold my hand and walk me to church and tell me that Jesus loves me. He'll do that for a while. But after a while, you have to look up into heaven and say, thank you, Jesus, you love me. And thank you that that I know you love me because I have been taught. Let's keep moving quickly here. We are sheep, but we are also soldiers. We are lambs, but we are we are priests, but we are. We are healers, but we are, we destroy the work of the enemy. We just, everywhere Jesus went, he destroyed the work of hell, cast out devils, healed the sick, saw the kingdom of God come to people's lives, saw people whose value had been absolutely taken away and destroyed, and he lifted them up and restored dignity and personhood to them. That's what we, we destroy the work of the enemy. We are oil and wine, but we are also salt and light. We are called to unite, but we are called to conquer. We invite, listen, we invite, oh, welcome, come, come. But then when we say come, here's what we say, come and die. Invest your life in the kingdom of God. We sang it today. Come on, you sang those words that I give my life. This is what this is all about. We teach, absolutely, but more than teach, we train. We give because it's our our joy to give because we've been blessed and God's blessing is on us and we want to be uh, participants with him. But we not only give, we sacrifice. We give till it hurts. We give our lives. Not just our, we don't just write a check or, or, or swipe a card or throw a few dollars or coins in and hopefully you're at that place. Okay, but anyway, we're not just there. We're at the place where we're saying, you know what? It's going to take sacrifice. This isn't a cruise ship. It's a battleship. This thing isn't about like a luxury line or who's going to serve me my next drink. This is about we're in a battle, in a war. We've got to take a kingdom by force. We, 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 are, we petition. Yes, we petition God, but we decree. We, just, we say what he said. We don't make up our own things. We say what God said. We come into agreement on earth with what God has said in heaven. In the church, we have mercy, but in the world, we pray for justice. We gather, but we deploy. There is revival, but there is reformation. We are not of the world, but we are in all the world. We cast out demons, but we also dethrone principalities. in, In the church, you know, listen, listen. We say... We really want you to come along. We really want you to obey God. We really want you to be part of this. But in the kingdom part, obedience is mandatory. We are like in this thing. I'm going to obey God with everything in me. 
Come on. Not like, well, when I feel like it. No, I'm, I'm in. I'm in with every part of my being. In the, in the church, in the family, we want everybody to be individual. And we want, to, want everybody to excel in their giftings and who God's called them to be. But in the, in the kingdom, corporality is emphasized. We have to walk together. I was in the military and I was learning how to march. I was a hippie. You've got to understand. When I went into the military, they, I had hair, if you could imagine this, hair down to the middle of my back. All right? And, and I went in, and the first thing they do is they take your hair. All right? They take your hair, they take your clothes, everything, and they put, you put everything, well, not, they don't put your hair in there, they take your hair. Then they send you through this thing, and they you take your clothes off, you're standing, remember this, military people? And you're standing at these steel things, they give you a box, you take everything you brought with you, you stick it in the box, you put your name on it, and you send it home. Okay? Then you go and you put a pair of skivvies on and, they, and then you walk through a, an inspection for a military uh, medical inspection. And I have a little scar on the inside of my leg. I don't know what it's from, but it's, you know, and I'm standing there, you know. And I, at that point in time, I wasn't the great spectacle of masculinity that you see standing in front of you today. Um, but I, um, I, I was standing there and one of the doctors says, what's the scar on your leg? And I said, I, I don't know. He says, stand aside. I said, what do you mean? He said, we're not sure we could take you. I said, you took my hair. You know what I mean? What do you mean? You, how do you go home now? Can you imagine? What do you do now? I go home and they're like, what's happened, man? I'm like, well, I went to the military. They took my hair and they sent me home. You know? <laughs> what's that all about? You know? We, we realized that in the military, then what they did is they strip you down to nothing. All of a sudden, you're standing in front of a drill sergeant. He's going, woman, yelling in your face, woman, can you hear me? Sir, yes, sir. You know, all that stuff, you know. Then they teach you how to walk, you know, and you got to dig your heel in just like a, you know, and, and I was walking one day and, 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 uh, and, and my, my sergeant, uh, Chief Argo, yelled at me. He said, Ronnie, you're the only man in step. And I thought, good. Then I realized I was the only one not in step. <laughs> and then he yelled, all of you. And, they, and when one guy did something wrong, everybody paid. All of you, get down, give me 30. Now we're all down on the ground. They're all hating me because of what I'm putting them through. See, in the church, individuality is cool. Be who you are. We want you to be. You don't have to be like me. You, don't, you know, Jesus didn't say, well, make duplicates. Some make disciples. You be who you are. You're unique. You're beautiful. You're special. But in the kingdom, you don't get to do what you want to do. You don't get to say, well, I don't want to march. No, we're marching. Well, I don't like that. You know, I want to blow my trumpet whenever I want to blow it. You know? Remember when Gideon was going to take the army? He was sneaking up on him. He says, here, how's it going to work? He said, when I break the pitcher, I want all of you to blow the trumpet. Suppose there's some guy going, well, I'm going to blow it when nobody's going to tell me. I'll blow a trumpet when I want to blow it. I mean, who, say, who do you think he is? You know, you're going to get somebody killed. Because this is serious business. We're taking the kingdom of, we're, you know, overthrowing the kingdom of darkness. The devil's not sitting back going, oh, this is good. People are getting delivered, set free. People are getting restored. Him like that. And so we have to walk, we, we walk together. And obedience is mandatory. We say yes. We're, we're committed to Christ. Individuality and corporate emphasis. We lay hands in the church. We lay hands on people to heal. In the kingdom, we lay hands on people to commission them to do the work of the kingdom.
in the church, the great commandment, in the world, the great commission. And, Jared, I went much too long. Three things in closing. Fully embrace Christ's message. What do you do? You've got to grab the kingdom message. You can't just say, you know, we're going to be a nice little church in Scranton. There's a lot of nice little churches in Scranton. There's a lot of them. We don't need another one. We need an ecclesia. We need an ecclesia. We need a family that loves each other and that's tight and walking and everybody's supported and strengthened. But we're an ecclesia. We're going out and taking the kingdom by force. Set your heart on expressing the life of Christ's kingdom within every dimension of your present life. Everywhere you go, you're a kingdom ambassador. Everywhere you go, in the classroom, on on the work job, on the job site, in the office, in the factory, wherever it is, you're a kingdom ambassador. You're there to expand the kingdom of God. Take that charge seriously and commit yourself fully to the vision of City Lights Church. I put this out because, you know, listen to me, truly, when I enrolled or enlisted in the military, I was not deceived. Sometimes you hear about these uh, recruiters and they tell them, oh, it's great, it's wonderful, it's going to be great, you're going to love it. My recruiter told me the day I swore in in Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania, and I raised my hand, he looked at me and he said, congratulations, this is the day you die. And I went, I understand. When I went into boot camp, I knew I'm not going there to live. I'm going there to die. I'm going to die. You commit yourself to the, to the, to the vision of this house. That recruiter did not soft sell me and say, oh, yeah, would you just? And then after you get in, you realize, oh, what did I get myself into? This church is all about kingdom influence, kingdom expansion. This is all about kingdom decree. And taking the kingdom of God that is going to flood the earth, the whole earth, And starting right here in this community. Do you believe that? Does that excite you a little bit? Just a little bit? Just a little bit? Just a little bit. I want to pray for you. And as we do, then I'm going to ask Pastor to come back. But um, I want you to know that I'm here and uh, the team is here to pray for you. Maybe you have never opened your heart to the kingdom or the king. You've never asked Christ to be your savior. You don't know him as the most beautiful one. He's here for you today. We'd be so honored to talk to you and share Christ with you personally. Maybe you just need somebody to pray with you and say, you know what, I'm in school or I'm in a situation. I'm not sure how, what God is saying to me about affecting my classmates or affecting my coworkers or I don't know how that all works. We'll pray with you. The team is here to pray with you. We'll believe with you. We'll see great things happen. Would you stand with me as we pray over you? Father, thank you. I know this has been a time in your presence that has changed us and shaped us. And I thank you for everyone that uh, has connected with this message today, everyone that has been under the sound of my voice. Above all now, I pray that this will not be something they simply slip into the back of their Bible or into the back of their heart. But instead, let this be a word that comes forward to uh, shape the destiny of their individual lives and the corporate life of this ecclesia. I thank you, Father, that you have called uh, 
Jared and Jesse and Mark and Ben and, and others uh, to come and be part of this. I thank you for uh, every one of the worship team members and, and the vision and the, the, de- the, the desires that are in their heart to bring this thing forward. I thank you for every leader that you have uh, assigned. I think of last Sunday, Father, as each of them stood in this sanctuary and uh, we highly value them and honor them this day. We pray that there will be a great momentum of the Holy Spirit, that you will drive, no, Lord God, you will lead this church forward into the great victories that you have for them. I pray that the family would be healthy and strong, that, you would, that they would care for one another, and there would be a filial love among them, brothers and sisters, as they speak to their Father in heaven. But I also pray now and commission them to be the ecclesia in Scranton. I commission them on the authority of your name and of your spirit and of your power. I thank you, God, for the leadership that is not only pastoral but apostolic. I thank you, God, for this body that receives this day a mantle of apostolic ministry. I declare it and decree it over them, Lord, because I believe I come into alignment with what you have said over your church. Let this church have great influence. Let there be many that come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ through the gospel. Let the gospel emanate from this place so it permeates all of this region and all of this city. Do a great work. Do a mighty work. Holy Spirit, take our lives right now. If you're in agreement with me today, would you just lift your hands toward the Lord? Would you just say, God, take me and make me a kingdom ambassador, please? Lord, I thank you for the church. I thank you for the family. I thank you for my brothers and sisters. I thank you that you connect me. But Lord God, you have made me a a warrior. You have made me someone that is called to advance the kingdom. And I I pledge myself to doing that. I pledge my heart to that, O Lord. I pray and ask that you will lead me and guide me and bring me forward into your perfect will. Use me, God, to advance the kingdom of heaven in the midst of the earth, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.